Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. I'm your host, Alad Gross. I'm a civil rights attorney and educator right here in Missouri. I love our state and our country, so let's talk about ways to make them even better. On this episode, we are joined by Renee Howitt of COPE24, a national nonprofit organization she started right here in Missouri to teach kids parenting skills. We talk a lot about how personal experience can turn into national advocacy and huge impact. Well, Renee, welcome to the Alad Pod. Thanks so much for coming today. I appreciate having you. Well, thanks for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Well, Renee, um, you know, I talked a little bit and, you know, we've got the intro out there a little bit in terms of the work that you're doing. Uh, COPE24 is a national nonprofit organization. You're here in Missouri, so that's always a great a great story to see how that came about. But could you tell us a bit about um, what COPE24 does, what the core work of that organization is? And then I think, I think it would be very interesting for everybody to hear how it came about, how you started COPE24, and, and why, why you're doing this work today. Yeah, so that's, those are really good questions. You know, um, I didn't wake up one morning with this idea to form COPE24. It really evolved mm-hmm. from a series of events that kept happening. One series led to another, led to another. And COPE24 is all about education. Uh, our mission statement is to make parenting education a national priority. And sort of the longer version of that is we believe that all high school students should be taking parenting and our child development classes during their high school career in all high schools, all students. So that's what the work is of COPE24, the mission. And what we do to enhance that is I have worked directly with family and consumer science teachers, also known as facts teachers. And I spent a lot of time in their classrooms speaking to their students and um, looking at their textbooks, looking at other supplemental material that they had to present to the kids. And what I noticed was missing was anything that was reality-based. And so I, I, I went on a, um, a search to what, what can we provide? Mm-hmm. And so we went into video production. We provide reality-based documentary-style videos that these facts teachers can use Uh, to supplement the textbooks. So it's easy to read, um, answer questions and be tested on these concepts. And, you know, if you get a good grade and most, most kids do, then you sort of think, okay, I've got this now. Mm -hmm. But the reality is um, when you haven't slept for weeks, you're exhausted. You've got this baby that's crying. um, You know, bad decisions can happen if you don't know what to do. If you don't have good critical thinking skills, anger management skills. And so we try, COPE24 tries to create uh, that environment so the student can see what we're talking about. Because it's easy to sit in a classroom and say, oh, I'd never shake a baby. You know, I'd never do this or that. But the reality is when you're exhausted, you haven't slept, 
you're frustrated, all of your friends are out having fun and you're stuck at home, it, it, you start feeling very self-centered. Right. And right. that's a normal that's a normal human reaction and so we're we're trying to prepare students for that. Yeah. Because we know someday more than 80% of us become parents. Right. And it's really interesting cuz the way, you know, I've worked with kids for um, a long time, um, kind of, you know, not, not quite in the traditional classroom setting, um, but, you know, talking to them after, oftentimes afterwards, some kind of an enrichment program or something in the summer. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that the way, because something that we started doing, uh, you know, we've, we've realized that kids, uh, you know, there's, there's the, the set of skills around kind of understanding yourself and your emotional responses to situation. I think it's really interesting the way that you phrase that, where like these reactions of, of feeling angry or feeling, you know, uh, uh, upset uh, or sad, or they're normal reactions to the situation that you're in. And, and it's kind of, you know, you're looking, instead of fighting that feeling, it's really understanding why that's happening and being more cognizant of that is that is that a good description of of, of what yeah, some and of the to work know that, that it's normal yeah it's, yeah it's to know that it's normal that's mm -hmm. why we're talking about it that's why we're trying to educate and prepare let's be honest so what we're really talking about is is reducing abuse neglect and dysfunction in families and there are statistical information that students need to have like we know 35 percent of all child abuse happens to children under the age of four. Well, why is that? Hmm. Well, because they cry, they throw tantrums, they never want to go to bed, and they need to be potty trained. And those are things that take months, if not years, to master as a child. And so we, we can prepare our students, and it doesn't matter if our students live in the country, live in the city, if they're from rich families or poor families, mm -hmm. uh, there's it's all it reaches all social economic families. The yeah. things that frustrate one parent also frustrate the other parent. And so, if we can prepare our kids for these parenting situations, we know they're going to face, so that they're better skilled with options. Because what we know creates that. Um, a generational cycle of family dysfunction is because even though I said, I'm never going to do that, you know, my parents did that and I always hated it and I'm never mm -hmm. going to do that. But then when you're in the middle of the battle, you mm -hmm. do what you know to do if nobody taught you anything different. And that's what we're trying to is, is not just one way of parenting, but let's talk about this because even within the classroom, kids share ideas and it's like, Oh, I like that one. Oh, right. I don't think I could do that one. That's great. There's no one right way to parent. There's no one wrong way to parent. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. I think it's kind of, um, it feels like that's such a beneficial approach to working with kids that doesn't get maybe as much attention or, or as many resources, I guess, in terms of training, like actually getting input from kids in terms of what they're thinking what perspectives that they have and making it more of a of a conversation where everybody's learning in that situation and i you know i, I see it because your background it's it's not too dissimilar from what i was doing and almost around the same time where um you know we didn't have necessarily formal 
training in this area, right? But we learned a whole lot about it. We looked into it. Uh, we started working uh, with kids and, and with so many other fo- educators and, and learning so much. And in your case, you know, you were uh, getting appointments and stuff to the state, which we'll talk about too, uh, which gives you even more knowledge about what's happening. And you kind of realize that, um, you know, the, the perspective, sometimes the, the traditional perspectives of, oh, this is how we do it. We have a test and we teach to the test and then everybody learns it. Uh, sometimes um, it's good to have a fresh perspective on that because some of that stuff isn't working all too well. Yeah, well, it's like any career that you're studying in college. I mean, your senior year, you're going to go out and do an internship, and there's a reason for that because it's not exactly the way it is in the textbooks. Mm-hmm. You know, that gives you a guide, but now we need to go out into the field. But unfortunately, in the arena of parenting, there's nobody there supervising you, there's nobody there guiding you you're on your own and so if students have been presented other options and even if it's 10 years down the road and oh my gosh they said this was going to happen i don't remember what the response uh, is at least they know there are resources out there because we were told that so now everybody's got computers in their home and let me sit down and, and look at this you know how am i supposed to be handling this because just because i handled something bad one time doesn't mean I have to handle it bad the next time and the next time we can get better at it. Right. And that's what we're trying to do. Right. Um, well, so I, I, if you could, um, could you talk, I, I guess, a bit about how, how you got started doing this? Um, because, I mean, I've, I've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I, I just think the story is pretty, um, pretty amazing. And it's one that um, hopefully, you know, people listening to, they can think, oh, you know, I can get involved in something like this too. I really care about, um, but it, it's just a pretty inspiring story about kind of the experiences that you went through to get to this point. Um, but could you tell us like what, you know, what was, I guess the, 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 you know, spark to start this thing and, and how it came to be now something that, that what thousands of kids are, are actually seeing. Yeah, so it's funny because if somebody would have asked me, I'm 62 years old, so I was about 40 when this all our life just had this life-changing event. Somebody would have asked me a little over 20 years ago, what are you going to be doing in 20 years? This was no way on my radar. Uh-huh. You know, this is not where I saw myself being, and yet I'm totally fine that this is where life took me. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in the midst of raising our three daughters. My husband and I have a very successful husband, so I was able to be a stay-at-home mom. And uh, our daughters were between the ages of seven and 14 when literally we had children show up on our doorstep on Christmas Eve night. And um, this was our indoctrination into how life is for some children because I grew up in a relatively healthy home. So my background isn't one of abuse, neglect, or necessarily dysfunction, although I would make the argument that you know, most families have some level of dysfunction, mm-hmm. um, but that's the learning curve. There's a big difference in parents making mistakes and recognizing I got to get better at this versus a parent that makes no effort. This is the way it's going to be. These are my rules. Whether it's working or not, this is what we're going to do. And and sometimes what we're going to do is, is really dysfunctional and sometimes it even crosses the line to abuse. So um, these these adults... Well, they show up on Christmas Eve night, and the first time they show up, they have a two-year-old who is the daughter of of the mother, and um, she's pregnant with the second child who will be born in two months. 
and the father is the one that's with her. And, and so we make this over the next couple of weeks, they'll be at our home and we sort of have to make a call. What are we going to do here? Um, and it's ironic that the decisions that we made way back then, knowing nothing about child welfare mm. are exactly the same decisions that they make. You know, the goal is always to keep the family unit together if it's at all possible. Yeah. And that was a decision that we came to, you know, the best way we could probably help this couple is to get them back on their feet because they were both professionals, very educated. Uh, they could have been very wealthy people and they had just made some really bad decisions in their life and had lost their jobs and basically were homeless, no income. And so my husband tells it's his oldest brother, 12 mm -hmm. years his senior. Uh, you know what? If you'll come back to St. Louis, I will get you a good job. You need to come back without this woman who he's not married to because he has a wife mm -hmm. and he has three sons that he's pretty much just abandoned. And um, you need to come back here. I'll get you a job. Come back by yourself. And, and you can figure out what you're going to do about the women first. And his recommendation was you need to get your marriage back in order because you are responsible for your three sons and you're going to be responsible for this baby. Now, the second thing that we offered was we're more than willing to help with this baby. Um, you need to come back without this mother and, you know, mothers aren't typically going to give up their babies. So mm -hmm. we didn't think that was probably going to happen, but we offered a home for this baby as well. He does come back. They go back to the state of Alabama, which is where they had come to us from. And they come back about six weeks later, a week before the baby is due to be born. Uh, but he com they come back with, again, the girlfriend, the girlfriend's two-year-old daughter, and now this time the girlfriend's mother. And mm -hmm. they're here. My husband has gotten his brother a job, a good job. Um, they're in our home about a week. Um, and then we get them moved out into a rental property which we place all the appliances in for them. He starts the new job. The baby is born. He will divorce his wife, even though, you know, that probably wasn't a good decision. Uh, and we will support this family financially for three years. And these children will be in our home two, three, four, five times a week. Now I am not providing daycare because I'm going to be honest with you. When you start talking about child advocacy, people mm -hmm. think, Oh, you know, she thinks she's some kind of an angel. No, I am not. You know, I was as frustrated of a parent as anybody could be on any given day. And my children between the ages of seven and 14. So listen, I was seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. You know, I got all three of my kids out to school in the morning. I came home and got my house organized and I was out the door. I was playing competitive tennis. I was back in school. You know, I'm an active person. At 2.30, I clocked out all that, clocked back in, put the mom head on. Chauffeur, coach, you know, doing the homework. I mean, I, I went back into it. And so I was just seeing this light of independence. And now we've got this newborn and this toddler. So I was not providing daycare. And yet these kids were still at our house a lot. And I was, and now, um, you know, two years down the road from that, these children are now two and four. And the four-year-old's now very verbal. And so I'm hearing things in addition to what I'm seeing that I know I should not be hearing and seeing. And I don't know what to do with that information. And at the same time, my husband and I are having these conversations about the adults and the money that we're spending. And we're getting calls from the employer and from the landlord. 
And so my husband goes over to his brother three years in and says, look, we're done. We love these children. We want to do anything we can to help these children, but we're not giving you any more money. You're going to get fired from your job. Your landlord is going to evict you. Um, but we, we just felt like all we were doing was enabling these people to continue making bad decisions. Mm. And so he pretty much cuts them off, but he does let them know at the same time, if you two will just go off and figure out your life, you can leave your children with us. We'll provide everything for them. We provide for our kids. And if you never get it figured out, you will know that you did the best thing you could do. You provided for your children. And if you do get it figured out, you know right where to come and get your kids. And he was not so politely kicked to the curb. Um, we expected that to happen. And um, the next day was when I made the hotline phone call to report what I had been seeing to, to Missouri's child abuse hotline. Yeah. And what I said to them was, look, I just want somebody to investigate this and if you see what I see, we'll be a resource to the state. We're willing to foster. We're willing to adopt. Um, and if you don't see what I see, I won't bother you again. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm just, I've misread it. I'll trust you. And that phone call ignited a four-year fight for these children. Uh, these children will come and live with us on three different um, occasions for extended periods of time. But each time we have to give the kids back to this mom because the system is about family reunification, which we weren't trying to reunify the kids. We were just trying to keep the kids with the parents from the beginning. And there's been more about just trying to keep the family unit together. So yeah, that was another four years. So now we're seven years into this. And, you know, fortunately somebody recommended it as soon as I made that phone call and I don't remember who it was now, they said, start documenting. And so mm -hmm. I sat at my laptop every morning and documented anything that had happened the day before. And sometimes it was just a couple of sentences, but other times it was a couple of hours. And the second time we had to give these children back to a mom I knew was no better because her history was that of abuse. She grew up in abuse and neglect. Her mother grew up in abuse and neglect. So that cycle mm -hmm. was there. I just didn't know what it was then. And um, so um, I was so disheartened the second time we had to give these kids back because you're falling in love with these kids. They're becoming a part of your family as well that I sat down at my computer with those notes that I had documented and I began writing and it became a manuscript. Now I have to tell you a lot, most of what I'm sharing with you today, I am in no way qualified. I was in no way qualified to write a book. The manuscript did become a published book. You know, we produce videos. I was in no way qualified to produce videos. I do a lot of public speaking. I had no professional training in public speaking, nor did I have any interest. But that's what motivation does. That's mm -hmm. what mission work does. You step up and you just have to figure. You can't learn how to do everything. I couldn't go back to college and learn all of this stuff. So you figure out and you prioritize. And that's what I was doing. And each thing that happened kind of led, I kind of just let God guide me to what the next step was going to be. And, you know, two and a half years went by and then these children entered our lives for the third time. By that time, the book was written. It was in the hands of a publisher. I'm to this day still amazed that that even happened. Hmm. And then by the time we lost the kids the third time, it was, it was ready for release. 
And it took about six months. You know, I saw that going in a whole different direction. You know, yeah. you only know one thing about publishing books that, you know, authors sell books and, you know, they do book signings. I mean, I didn't know, but doors opened that I didn't even know existed. And I got a call about six months later from the, the uh, director of social services for the state of Missouri, asking me to come into Jeff city for a meeting. I was like, wow, I haven't been to Jeff city since I was on a field trip in the third grade, <laughs> nine years old. Uh -huh. So of course I went and that meeting went really well. And she asked me to take an appointment to Missouri's task force on children's justice. That was in 2008 that I started serving on that task force. And the first meeting is what led to the next thing, because mm -hmm. I was so excited because this task force is, it falls under statute and by statute, they have to have stakeholders from across the state. You know, it's gotta be diverse in, in politically, uh, male and female, uh, racial, uh, and, and, and everybody is connected somehow to child welfare. So you have judges, lawyers, prosecutors, uh, defense lawyers, GALs, you have uh, case managers, juvenile officers, pediatricians, detectives, anybody that's got a stake in children was represented on this task force. And I show up to the first meeting in March of 2008 and at the end of this meeting, I was like, oh, my God, these people have all the education, all the work background, you know, all of the knowledge. And they're no closer to a solution than I am, mm -hmm. because what I saw were these two children, two innocent children that just kept being sent back into the fire and, and always being told that this is in the best interest of the child. And I'm thinking, how is any of this in, be in the best interest of children? You know, so. I wanted to understand that so that I could find a solution, not so that anybody could be in trouble. I wasn't trying to point fingers. I mean, this is complicated. And it was that realization, leaving that meeting, understanding two things. Number one, I, I'm going to stay on this committee because this is where I continue my education from every different direction. But I got to do something because these people don't have an answer. And the next morning I woke up with this idea why don't you go out into the high schools and start speaking? Hmm. Now, fortunately, we let our three daughters pick the high schools that they wanted to go to. And they all three picked a different high school. So I had three high schools to begin with that already knew us as parents yeah. you know, being involved. And two of those three high schools asked me to come in right away. The first class that I went into, I remember I was a nervous wreck. Uh, I think it was going well, but you don't know that it's going well. And yep. I can see the teacher over in the corner and she's on her computer. And I'm thinking, my gosh, that's distracting. And it's kind of rude. And because I'm not a good speaker in my mind. Right. And at the, end of the, at the end of the presentation, she came up to me and she said, I just want you to know, I was sending an email to my cousin who teaches psychology at a neighboring school district. I want her to know what you're doing. And all I was doing was sharing my story because I'm thinking if my generation, we're running the nation, if we can't figure this out, if I plant enough seeds in 25 years, these kids that I'm talking to are going to be running the nation. That's all I was thinking. So just share your story. That's all I was armed with. By the time I got home, I had an email from that teacher at the other school district asking me to come and speak at her school. I went the next week, but in that week time, she invited the family and consumer science teachers to come in with their students and they teach parenting, child development, adult living, 
you know, all of those sorts of classes. Mm -hmm. And I went in and did the same exact presentation. And by the time I got home from that presentation, that fax teacher posted on an online listserv what I was doing in Missouri. Uh I had emails from across the state. (laughs) I'm sure. That took off overnight. For the next six years, I will leave my home on Sunday night and not return until Friday afternoon, just going from school to school to school speaking. It got so big that I had to divide the state into quadrants. Mm-hmm. And I'd spend this week in this quadrant and this week in this quadrant just to keep the driving time down. Yeah. And then I started getting emails from all of our neighboring states. And then I started getting emails from Georgia and Florida and California and New York. And it was like, this is not even humanly possible. Yeah, I was about to say, what kind of car were you driving? <laughs> yeah. And fortunately, we could afford to fund that. But yeah. now you're talking flights and hotels. Right. Well, I was playing for hotels, but in Missouri, that's fairly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Not so everywhere that you could go. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started thinking, how do we how do we do this? It's not humanly possible for me to even get to every school in the state of Missouri every year because you have a different group of students every semester, basically. And that was when the idea of COPE 24 came along and video production, because videos can reach so many thousands of students where I can only reach, you know, maybe 200 students at a school in these classes a day at, at the most. You know, sometimes I go into some of our small schools and I talk to 10 kids right. after driving for two hours. Yep. So that's where COPE 24 came along. And actually, in our first program, we did a parenting skill program. And all I did was tap into my mom experience, not my foster mom experience, my mom experience. Like, what were the things that irritated me the most? Because if it irritates me, it probably irritates every parent. And so it was like the crying, the potty training, the bedtime was my personal parenting favorite. They never want to go to bed and you're exhausted. The lying, the homework, uh, teenagers wanting to leave the house dressed inappropriately. Those Uh are normal, predictable behaviors. And so we, we hired talent and we acted out like five minute videos. And that program, we, I got fax teachers to help write the curriculum. I got, uh, people from the state to help, uh, from the DESI to help uh, put together student knowledge surveys and critical thinking worksheets. I mean, I just partnered up with a whole bunch of people that I never even knew. Yeah. And we put this program together. And the goal was the teacher would start a class, play one video. Each of our videos escalated to abuse, neglect, or dysfunction. And then the video stopped and the teacher could turn to the class and say, now what went wrong? What other choices did these parents have and what will you do? Because what I want your audience to know before we get into the question and answer is these mm-hmm. teachers are very good at getting students to understand. We're not trying to tell you how to parent as much as what is out of bounds. Like there are certain things you should never do to a child. Like you should never pick a baby up and shake it. Mm-hmm. And yet that happens almost every day. So that's where we went. And that went over so well that then we decided, why don't we do these like documentary style videos? So at the same time, my work on the task force evolved and we we created a subcommittee called the Critical Event Review Committee. And I was on that committee 
And what we were challenged to do was look at cases right from our state where the worst had happened. The child had either died or had been so severely injured that they're never going to be healthy again. And the federal government wants to know why that would happen. Because we weren't reviewing cases where the police got a 911 call and they show up at a home that had never been on anybody's radar and now a child is dead. These were typically cases where there were judges, there were caseworkers, there was CASA, CAC, lawyers, and yet the child is dead, are so severely injured, they're never going to be healthy again. And so they were asking us to review these cases to look for where did the system break down? Not where did the parents break down or the foster parents, but where did the system break down so that we can make these changes? And you know what I began to see as I looked at the parents was this short, long list of parenting behaviors or elements like immaturity, drugs and alcohol, uh, mental health, absent fathers, domestic violence. You know, that's what I mean by a short, long list. And as I was thinking of documentary videos, I'm thinking we could take one of these topics at a time because high school students, you, you just can't clutter their brain with too much. Right. And that's what we did. So the first video we did was on shaken baby. And we got families that their baby was shaken for, sometimes it was the father, sometimes it was the daycare provider. But we wanted students to see in that one moment of anger, everybody's life's changed forever because some of these people were in prison. Uh, none of the babies died that we chose because typically now if, if the children get to the hospital, death is very low, mm. but regaining full health is not expected. Yeah. And I wanted kids to see because of this minute of anger, now this baby will never be healthy again. And I wanted them to see that child as a baby, as a, you know, as a two-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 14-year-old, I wanted them to see this doesn't go away. And so we have to be prepared for this moment. And what do I do when that thought enters my brain to pick this baby up and shake it? And then yeah. we went on to teen parenting and support systems. You know, how many of you have asked your parents, well, what would you do if I came home and told you there was a baby on the way? What would you do if your parents said, well, you wouldn't live here? You know, we wanted kids thinking about that before this is a reality for them. Um, then we did one on drugs and alcohol and parenting and how easy it is for a parent that's not even really abusive or even necessarily neglectful. But if you are uh, even just a little bit tipsy and you fall asleep and your child runs out in the street and gets hit by a car, that may not have happened had you not been drinking or smoking pot. We just want kids thinking about those things. Our most recent video we titled how many ACEs are you holding? ACEs is a big topic in child welfare now. ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. It was studied greatly in the mid-1990s, and they studied 10 specific uh, childhood adversities. These are adversities that happen at the hands of the parents that can be controlled. Um, there are many adversities that we can face in life that parents have no control over. They don't have control over a car accident that leaves somebody disabled or dead. They don't have control over a diagnosis of cancer or, or control over um, a, a tornado hitting your house. Those are horrible adversities that everybody would have to, that would be traumatized from and need to heal from. But we're talking about child abuse, 
child neglect, um, sexual abuse, uh, neglect, physical and emotional and educational. And we're talking about parents that struggle with mental health, our addictions, our divorce. You know, some of those things aren't even illegal, but they are a problem for the child. Our, our domestic violence. The parents may not be abusive to the child, but when the child's witnessing their mother getting knocked around every day, or the children who have a parent go away to prison. Those were the 10 topics that were studied in ACEs. And when, when the study was done, the people that did it were shocked to find out the percentage of our population of kids that grow up in these homes. And do you know that 64% of us grew up in a home with at least one to three of these 10 ACEs on a regular basis, 64% of us. And 12.5% of us grew up in a home with four or more. And while why four became important was they also compared those people to health outcomes as mm -hmm. adults. And the health outcomes were exponentially higher rates of lung disease, liver disease, um, diabetes, obesity, uh, mental health, suicidality. And they know now, because it's been so many years since that study was done and they continue doing this study, that life expectancy is even reduced by as much as 20 years. That's what toll this takes on our children. And so that's the evolution and why COPE24 came into being and why we do what we do. We just believe that we've got to reprioritize what we're doing in our schools. Mm -hmm. And our nation has always been willing to have our educational system evolve to meet the needs of our society. And I know we just went through the worst year that most of us can ever remember with a pandemic, certainly in my lifetime, and there are a lot of people a lot younger than me, so I know it's most of us. And we think that that's the worst, but really the biggest health problem that our nation faces is the health of our families. And people just don't know that. And it's like, but we have the ability to change that, you know, through education. And so why not make this a priority? Because what are we spending on prison, on crime, on mental health, on domestic violence, both the perpetrator and the victim on poverty, on homelessness and on addictions. We're spending in the billions of dollars annually throughout this country. And we know that more than 70% of the people that fall in those groups came from dysfunctional families. And who's the leader of the family? The parents. So that's why this is just imperative that we make this educational pri priority in our schools. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, well, yeah, uh, there's actually a comment here from uh, a good friend, Roy, so I'll put that up on the screen. Um, but, I mean, just talking about, uh, well, I'll, I'll read the whole thing. My wife and I were 25 and 24 before we had our first child. We'd been married for five years. We'd become somewhat financially settled. We had gotten to know each other, but our only parenting skills were what we learned at home. I'm sorry if that popped off the screen, but I'll put it back on. This is a great program Thank you for posting this. It is a class I wish my wife and I would have had uh, a class like this when we were young. I certainly needed it. And I think, you know, it's, I mean, very much to the core of what you're talking about. It's just like this lack of knowledge, right? We, we do all of this training and this education around preparing you 
to be a member of society, to know how to do all these things. And sure, I mean, there's there's stuff that you'll learn in school that you might not use all too much in your professional life or whatever, but it's good to have a basic fundamental understanding of what that stuff is. Um, I, I've got to tell you, the reason that we started doing so much teaching around, um, you know, this like emotional awareness was because we found that, you know, we, we did a lot of focusing on math and reading and writing. Everybody talks about that, even history and, you know, other stuff, um, science. But uh, you can't really get to a lot of those issues, right? Those pure academic or performance or whatever issues if we're not dealing with that emotional need. Uh, and the oftentimes it's, it's just like you're talking from the ACEs and everything else, but other studies that have been done after. Um, but that those traumatic events that are impacting you without you even really realizing it or being cognizant of it. And, you know, that's not, that's applicable to everybody. I mean, there's, there's really not anybody who's missing that. So, um, well, you know, it's hard to get a high school student to understand deeper concepts when they didn't get the foundation. Yeah. And so when you're going to school, primary school, and you're coming to school hungry, you're coming to school exhausted because there's so much chaos going on in your home and you're not sleeping, you're not going to sleep till three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, your parents don't get you to school on time because they don't wanna get out of bed. When you have these issues and then the child comes to school and they don't, they don't learn all the math concepts or the basic sentence structures or how to read, how do you, you know, and, and you, they begin to think it's them that they're just stupid. Most people aren't stupid, you know, and we know that stuff now. And, you know, I have a lot of people write to me and say, you really should talk about these core subjects. Who's going to use trigonometry and who's, and it's like, you know what? I'm not even going to have that fight. Okay. Our educational system was set up for us to be literate. So math, science, history, uh, reading and writing, that's what we were set up for. Mm -hmm. I am not pushing back against that. What I'm asking our nation to look at is we have had requirements for classes outside of those core subjects for decades. And I often get asked by government people, where is the evidence that this kind of education would work? And what my answer to that is now, where is the evidence that uh, gym class has made us more fit, more healthy as a nation? Because it doesn't exist. And I'm not in any way suggesting get rid of gym, our music, our art, our drama, or any of the electives that we have. What I'm saying is get rid of the mandates, get rid of the requirement for graduation so that school administrators have the ability to, to guide more kids to these life skill classes. And there are many other life skill classes that are offered at our schools too. There are career classes. We know now that if kids know really and are passionate about what they want to do and be when they graduate, there's a higher success rate in college, in, in uh, trade schools, whatever. We can expose them to those sorts of things. So I think any elective that we offer our kids, absolutely keep it on the curriculum offering, but take away the mandates so that we can get more kids into these uh, career and life skill classes. That's just it's, where it's, we need to be moving as a nation. I mean, it's well, it's, it's interesting because there are some, um, 
you know, there's some movements uh, in some schools, uh, and oftentimes it's it's isolated now, but I think that people are seeing the benefits of it. But they're they're looking at more um, kind of what's called creative classrooms, but really it's it's giving kids, even young kids, kind of more control over what they're learning. And that doesn't mean that you're like, oh, well, you know, kid doesn't want to learn math and we're just not going to do addition and that's that's how the kid's going to... It, it's, it's more of um, getting this kind of initial buy-in from a student because they are interested in doing this or they see how this fits in with something that they are interested in, right? So you kind of go to this inspiration for a student or an interest for a student and then kind of build backwards a little bit. And there's some really innovative stuff that's going on in some classrooms where... Each student, I mean, even in, in some, it's, it's a little harder to do it with some of our more under-resourced classrooms because they, they just don't have enough adults in the room to do this right now. But you can, there are some classrooms where each student is doing something different. And then they're all able to kind of share from those experiences with each other, too. Um, so that's, that's a, a, an interesting proposal. You know, there was a question in here um, about Missouri specifically. Um, and it's from Audrey, so I'll put that up on the screen too. Is, is there a quadrant of Missouri, because you talked about dividing up the state, but maybe now you have a different system, uh, where child advocacy, this kind of child advocacy, has a greater need? Where in Missouri uh, are you seeing this problem as, as the worst? Uh, is there Are there particular areas that you are seeing, maybe not just in Missouri, but across the country, um, where these issues are more predominant in the students that you're working with? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because when I was out those six years speaking all the time, almost 100% in classrooms, mm -hmm. when I'd walk into the school and first meet the teacher, one of the first words out of her mouth would be, this this is really needed here. Everywhere that I went, you know, our kids are not only coming from dysfunctional homes, in, in many ways, what they're seeing in social media, on TV is is totally dysfunctional. Like just any kind of behavior is acceptable because you see it all the time, all the time. And so kids just think this is okay and they don't understand the long-term consequences of, you know, drugging and you're much more likely to experience sex. And if you get involved sexually and you're high or you're drunk, you're much more likely not to use birth control. And now we have this baby on the way and we're in no way ready to provide, protect, love, and nurture this child to the fullest extent. So um, everywhere that I went, it, it doesn't matter if it's rural, if it's urban, uh, if it's rich, if it's poor, it doesn't matter. This is a problem everywhere that I go. Now, when I was in Missouri most exclusively, I used to um, I divided it into contra I had the state of Missouri on the wall mm -hmm. and I divided it into quadrants and I started putting, you know, tax yeah. in the schools that I'd been to. There but were by far more tax from the central of Missouri to the southwest quadrant. But that's only because they had seemed to me have more interest in inviting me to come. Not that the problem was bigger there. The problem is everywhere. That's one of the problems with this. There'll be healthy parents watching this that'll say, well, you know what? I don't know that I want my child's high school time to be taken up by these kind of classes when we're healthy. There, there are a lot of healthy homes. I understand that. But what I want those parents thinking about is, but what if your child falls in love with somebody that didn't come from healthy? 
They don't know how to discern that. When we're young, we go to what we're attracted to and we're attracted by looks, we're attracted by sense of humor, we're attracted sometimes by uh, smarts and by academics and we make a lot of money, but none of those are indicators of how good of a parent, how much anger management you have or critical thinking skills that you have. And you don't know that till the baby arrives. And so, yeah, your kids still do need to be in this because we know that 64% of us grow up in a home with some level of dysfunction. And so I would argue that, no, you, you do want your kids in these classes because you can't talk about parenting without talking about family, without talking about relationships, without talking about sex, without all of it's connected. And right. so it is, it is really, it's just about, it's not even about spending money. It's about reprioritizing, mm -hmm. you know, and I want you to, I don't also get pushbacks from people that are athletes, people that are musicians. Look, there's nobody more athletic than me. It, Jim was an easy A. Uh, music was an easy A. Art was an easy A for me. And I balanced that out because I, I was a good student and I never wanted to get below a B average ever in any way. Like that would have been just a total failure for me to have lower than a 3.2 average. It was always much higher than that. So what I did was if I had a difficult course that I wasn't sure I could pull any better than a C, I took a gym class because that was going to be an A and it would average to a B. I mean, I was doing that all through school. I was still going to be an athlete whether I was taking a gym class during the school day or not. I would have done sports after school. That's all I'm saying is not get rid of it. We want kids to want to go to school, but there are priorities. And, and these mandates for requirements that we have are really what kind of hold back administrators. They know these kids need these classes, but they have to get the mandated requirements for graduation. And so as a society, we need to be rethinking that. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. It's, you know, it's, um, you know, just on, on, I think the topic in general of, of mandates too, because, you know, I mean, that haven't worked with kids for a long time. Um, certainly see the benefits of, you know, some basic level of trade. The problem is in, in a lot of the schools where, where folks are struggling, uh, you can have the mandates all you want. It's still not really, uh, helping you get to that level of proficiency. Um, but, but one, there was a school that was really interesting. I, I visited when I was working with, um, well, unfortunately, they've closed that school now in St. Louis City, but they were trying to transform it and do this whole theme or whatever with the uh, public school system here. And uh, I, I visited different schools to kind of get the ideas of what they were doing. And these schools, you know, the, the scores were off the charts. And it's just like, oh, well, what's the miracle here? And there was one where there was a teacher from um, uh, this, you know, who'd been a principal who'd been uh, teaching for a very long time and been a principal before and was well known for turning schools around, whatever that means. But uh, she was there and uh, her focus for years was saying, look, I know that there are requirements and mandates and everything else, but honestly, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get these kids to that level if I have to do that. The basic foundational element for her was kids needing to know how to read. And there's a very interesting article for those of you in, in Missouri um, in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I think it was today, um, at least it was online, but about a program that's really focusing on literacy and building up literacy and, and kind of like looking at, just like you said, like you've got all of these different things that we teach kids 
at some point we do have to prioritize and maybe there's there's a way for us to think about what order we go in in order for kids to better understand the different subjects as they get to them. So for example, when you said relationships uh, in, in, in your example, I actually thought of it even beyond just like, you know, romantic relationships. Really, a lot of what your teachings go to is is relating with other people. And so that's it seems like it's so important not only for, you know, okay, you've got a pretty good childhood and everything else, um, but it's you just have to know you're going to be working with somebody most likely, very, very likely, you're going to be working with somebody or you're going to be knowing somebody or you're going to be living right next door to somebody who has uh, something in their background that is going to uh, encourage them to react a certain way that might not be the most positive, but you understanding that really helps you kind of cope with that situation too. Cope 24, look at that. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I think it's, um, you know, a lot of a, a lot of really good points. You know, I, I do want to ask because I know we're, we're starting to run out of time, but there's so many, there are all these questions coming through. Um, so actually one question, it's, it's come through a couple times too before I get to ask mine. So look, look, everybody, I'm treating you better than me. Okay, I've got a really important question, but you're all, you're all here. Um, there is, it seems like a few questions have kind of asked uh, about COPE24 working primarily with kids in the educational context. A lot of folks are saying, well, um, this is great. We've also got adults who might be, uh, you know, in the court system now, or even, I mean, even kids, right, who are in the court system now. Uh, do you do uh, any kind of work with the justice system or with adults, like, after this whole situation, um, you know, beyond the, the school setting, um, maybe diversion courts or something else, and um, wondering, like, what are your thoughts about that kind of generally, the services that may be out there or maybe need to be out there for, for folks beyond school, too? Well, I've tried to get child welfare in our state, which is called Children's Division, to embrace uh, our model. And I want to tell you something. I'm not even really trying to promote my model, the COPE24 mm -hmm. model. We know that it works. Uh, the teachers come back and they use it over and over. And actually, we've lost control of that because with COVID, we had to take our videos and, and stream them. So you have to use another service to stream them. And that service doesn't let me know who's renting the video. Whereas when people were purchasing it, then I, I could keep a count. And when we stopped being able to count it, we were over 600 school districts were using our stuff. Mm -hmm. And But my point is, is I don't care what material is being used. These facts teachers are trained professionals and they have all sorts of textbooks to use. And that's kind of why I got partnered up with them. You know, that was just happenstance from that first school. And, and these teachers embraced what my ideas were. I had somebody to bounce any new idea off of. And so we formed that partnership. But at the same time with my work on the task force, I was trying to get children's division to embrace this too. And their fear, and I didn't have a pushback because I didn't have any evidence was, well, your stuff is really pretty in your face. Mm. Like we don't mince words. The, the parenting classes that child welfare offers across the nation is pretty soft core because they want these parents to come to trust them and to right. call them the next time they get upset versus doing something to their child. I get that, but my audience hasn't done anything wrong. So I really like getting out in front of this while we have these systems that work with the problems that already exist. My, my point has been, but let's reduce that for the future by educating. And since our audience hasn't done anything wrong, 
we can be in your face. I would love to be involved in the judicial systems, in the prison systems, mm -hmm. in the military systems. There's all sorts of adult places that didn't have this kind of education. And these people may already be in parenting or thinking about becoming parents. And so, of course, we want them to know that there's resources, not just ours. There's resources available to help you because this is the hardest job you're ever going to do. Yeah. Parenting is the hardest job because you don't get to clock out. You don't get a payday. You don't get a holiday. You can't negotiate with a toddler. You know, you don't have those experiences. And one more thing I'd like to say to you is when you talked about um, the adult relationships and your reactions there, I used to tell kids when I would talk about shaken baby and that anger, it's always the crying and the anger builds up that leads to that. There is no plan. There is no monster parent that thinks in the morning, oh, I'm going to shake my baby today. That is not how this happens. So what I like to say to students is how do you react when you get mad at somebody right now? You're so angry at your friend, your sibling, your parents, a teacher. Do you yell and scream at them? Do you cuss at them? Do you slam them against the locker? Do you shake them? Do you punch them? Because if you think your reaction is going to be any different to a child, you're wrong. Yeah. So right there, you've got this clue. I need to mature before I become a parent. That's what we're saying. And we actually do control that as human beings. You know, I always say there are four things that you need to be able to provide to your child before you decide to become a parent. You need to be able to provide, protect, love, and nurture. And if one of those pieces is missing, there's going to be a problem mm. at some point. And, and so it's huge. Yeah. Um, I even talk about now with all of the anger that we've witnessed in this nation from everybody this year. When you think about a parent that does all four of those things, they just they are just doing a great job. But they're angry. They're just in general angry, probably at the things that happened to them as a child. OK. You're going to raise angry children and nothing even bad happened to your children because you were providing, protecting, loving and nurturing them. But you modeled anger to them. That's the kind of stuff we want kids thinking about because we absolutely do control this. And if I'm not ready to stop partying, to stop being self-centered, to give up my anger, then just don't become a parent. <laughs> and we can teach that stuff. Yeah. Well, the comments that are on here uh, are exceedingly positive. A lot of folks who are just, man, this is, this is a lot of information. It's all great. Uh, a lot of folks who are, are saying they wish they had this opportunity when they were younger. You know, I wonder, though, um, ugh, we're going to go over time because I'm going to ask this question. So you got kids, right? you got a classroom of kids, and, uh, you know, I've taught quite a few of them. Um, I want, you know, for, for certainly like when, when we become adults, right. And you've got all this experience and your brain has, you know, grown to the size that it will get to. And then it starts going downhill from there. But, but once you get to that point, right. And you're looking back, it's like, yeah, I, this is all great. Like, I wish I had this. What do you do? Are you getting that from kids who are, I mean, they're not right. They're not at this age yet. They're, they're, they're on their way there. Are you getting that from like a kid who is seeing this and say, oh, like, I get 
that this is important? Or is it more of like, you know, I, I kind of want that in the back of their head, like they've been exposed to it, they've seen it. Or is that kind of, I mean, part of the reason, like for folks, and I'll, I'll put the website up there too for you, uh, for cope24.com, and you can see a lot of like the clips of the videos. I mean, some of the videos, like you said, they're not sugar-coated. They're right there. You can see them. Is that part of the idea too, so that it does stick with folks who are watching this and they're they're seeing this and so that's kind of ingraining even if you're not getting that oh yeah this is so helpful reaction from you know a group of high school yeah. students so a couple of things um yes we want to make an impact that's going to stay alive in their brain because ideally we don't want high school kids having kids for another five to ten years and so when you have that delay you want them to have recall what on that mm -hmm. night that their baby won't stop crying or they're throwing a tantrum in the middle of Walmart. Oh, they taught me about this. So yeah, we want them to have that recall and know that there is a resource and what did they teach me? Even to write to the facts teacher. They, they the teachers at the same school, go back, what can I do? Where can I be? I wanna tell the people that are listening to this today, um, I, we did something called the game. I did this in the classroom for years and I finally thought we just need to film this. And so we did. If you go to cope24.com, I can't tell you exactly how to find it, but there's a video on there called The Game. It's free. And it's where I'm talking to students about shaking the baby. And what would you do? And you literally can see the light bulb go on because you mm -hmm. were asking about that. You literally see the light bulb go on. I, I set it up and all the things that you've done, you've fed this baby, rocked this baby, burped this baby, you've met all the baby's needs. And now you're going to put this baby down and it's still screaming and you're about to lose it because today your boss was a jerk or you have a headache or the stomach flu or you just had a fight with your spouse and you're stuck with this baby and you don't know what to do. And so then I begin the game and I say, I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to close the door. Is that neglect? And some of the kids will say, yeah, you can't do that. The baby's crying. Okay. Now I'm going to same situation. I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to close the door and I'm going to sit down and put my earbuds in. Is that neglect? Now you're going to get about 50% of the class say that's neglect. And I end that presentation by saying, you know, step outside or shake this baby. And you literally can see the light bulb go on. So yes, we are having light bulb moments. Yeah. And the reason we're so in your face is because we want them to have recall 10 years down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's important. Obviously, folks who are watching right now agree. Um, I think a lot of people have have really seen this. The website has a lot of great resources on it. Um, so it's on the screen now. It's easy to remember, cope24.com. Um, so go ahead and check that out. And they can contact you through there too, right? Yes, and we're on Facebook under Cope24. There you go. And I'm on LinkedIn under Renee Howitt. Um, yeah, just look for me. And my email address is all over cope24.com. You can't miss it. You really right. can't. So all of that, look, her name is right there on the screen. The Coke 24 is on the, look, we can do all of this. We're getting very fancy here. No, this is, yeah. this this was really great, uh, uh, very helpful. I think it, it gave, um, you know, folks a really good resource to go to also. Um, so thank you. I mean, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. We've got all of the contact information for uh, Renee in the in the description for the video and, and in the, the podcast, everything, so you can um, get to her too. So, Renee, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for it. inviting me. Yeah, You're absolutely. a great interviewer. Oh, well, you know what? I didn't have to do too much. It was easy. You just ask a question and then keep going on.
You can tune into our programs live on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, or at aladgross.live. You can also submit questions and see all of our previous programs. If you'd like to get more involved in our government, visit takebackmissouri.org and sign up to volunteer. Until next time, this is Alad Gross, and thanks for listening to the Alad Podcast.